Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. Hello to anyone who's joining via the Temple Beth Am podcast. Uh, again, we wish a, uh, a mazel tov to Renee Bainval on Liat's wedding this past Sunday in Mexico uh, and give her kudos for being up so early in the morning after arriving back so late last night. And, <clears throat> we'll ju- and welcome to one of our new students, Mickey, uh, who's been coming to Daily Minion for the last few weeks uh, mourning uh, it's a sad loss in his family. But uh, we're glad that you're part of our community. You're back part of our community and great to have you here in this class, Mickey. Okay, we are uh, about to read the Rashi on chapter seven of the book of Exodus. Um, verse three. We read the verse. We didn't read the Rashi, and I said this is the last Rashi comment. Uh, sorry, there's a Rashi comment on this verse and the next verse, and then Rashi's quiet for a few verses. And when Rashi goes quiet, we'll look at some of the other um, some of the other commentators. Okay, so let's read the verse to get us into it. Um, Nikki, do you have a sense of where we are? Does someone help yeah. you find it? Okay. Um, don't be uh, alarmed if you're drowning a bit in the beginning, right? Um, but a- a- after time, the, the, you'll, you'll pick up momentum. Okay, so chapter uh, 7, verse 3 was, Va'ani akshah et lev paro, I, God, will harden the heart of Pharaoh. This is God kind of predicting the, the, um, the interaction that's going to happen between God and paro as things go forward in the story. Uh, it's not the first time that God is making a reference to God doing something to Pharaoh's heart uh, later on the story, but the last time was chapter 4, verse 21, and it was, I think the verb was chazek, and yeah, chazek at Leif Paro, uh, just confirming that. Um, chazek, right, so now that was uh, chazak, now it's kasheh. totai, I will increase my signs, viet moftai, my wonders, my miracles, the Eretz Mitzrayim, the land of Egypt. Okay, that was the verse said, and we hadn't yet read the Rashi's. Uh, so let's. Any, any any lingering questions on the verse itself? Uh, we need to get uh, more of a microphone. The translation I have, instead of saying increase, which I'm used to, says multiply, and I wonder if that's related to the multiplication of plagues that we read about in the Haggadah, or if it's simply a coincidence that he decided to translate this as multiply instead of increase. I think it's synonyms, right? Pru or vu, be fruitful and multiply, yeah. right? Pru from the word pre, which means fruit, and urvu is the same root as we hear beti. So I think what's going on there is probably synonyms. Okay. Yeah, English synonyms for making abundant. Uh, okay. Let's look at the Rashi on verse three. This is the first time Rashi is going to dip his toe into a different version of the moral conundrum that we've been speaking about for a few weeks, which is how do we relate to a God of creation and a God of history and a God of Israel, a God who's gonna liberate us, a God who's gonna command us, who is the God who's both the hardener of the heart and the punisher of the hardening, okay? Um, Remember, Rashi is going to relate to this very differently than we moderns would. Number one, because we live, we're living 800 or more years after him. And we talked last week about the dangers of presentism, of assuming that 
um, any text or any idea from a previous era could possibly have predicted the moral universe in which we're living. Um, so we should understand it in its context and critique it if need be, but understand that we're critiquing it after uh, an enormous amount of development that could not possibly have been anticipated in terms of how we think about power, how we think about punishment, and how we think about God. Okay, so uh, no more caveats. Uh, let's see, uh, Alan, do you want to read verse uh, three, uh, the Rashi in verse three? I don't have my glasses. All right, but even because you need a microphone. I can call on someone else if that's better. Why don't you call on someone else? Okay. Just, uh, just because without my glasses, reading Rashi is kasha. Okay. Uh, kasha, very good. Uh, <laughs> Joel, do you want to read? After, Yoshia comes from Rasha, but right. it's he feels. Does that mean to make evil? Right, it's, 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 it's an interesting he feels. So it's like to, to, um, to wreak havoc, sort of. It, it's to, to do evil in the world. It's not to make someone else do evil, but to, to, um, to, to have evil be done as a result of your actions. The hitris, I don't know. Anyone know what the root hitris is? What are trisim in Hebrew? <laughs> Blinds, right? right. Uh, so in, in Israel, trisim are those amazing, why no other country has figured out that that's the best way to make a room dark in the middle of the day, I don't know. But trisim are the blinds built into the walls of Israeli apartments and you, you uh, use that little um, kind of, uh, almost like a conveyor belt thing on the side and it makes uh, a room completely dark uh, even if it's in the middle of the day. So the root taf resh sin can mean to block something, uh, but I want to show you what it means in rabbinic Hebrew as well. One second. Okay, so according to Jastro, the root taras, oops, that's the Aramaic, um, to shield, to protect, could that work here? No, so thank God there's a second definition. To resist, fight, wrestle, and debate. It's interesting because those are two very, very different meanings, right? So, and these are both in the he field. So the root is taras, but in the he field, which is the causative, if you are matris someone, you're either protecting them or you're the opposite. You're fighting against them, right? So it's clearly the second one um, that is being referenced here. So that Ra God is saying, or Rashi is saying that God is saying that, and me'achar, even though in the word achar you hear the word after, me'achar is more like since, as a result of the fact that, to be opposed, yeah, defy, sometimes defy, yeah. Okay, because he's been evil and, and, and defied me, the galui shalafanai she'ein nachat ruach umot, And because it's clear that before me there's no um, comfort, no, what's nachat? Uh, yeah, I mean, literally ease of spirit, but we're going to, but he's speaking, it's going to be hard to figure out I mean, it's, it's going to take us a few steps to figure out what he means by the words he's using. Ease of spirit uh, among the nation. To do what? Keep reading. Latate. Latate lev shalem lashu. Okay, so that's two parenthetical clauses. Since, number one, Pharaoh has been evil and has been defying me. And number two, galui lefanai, lev shalem lashu. This is Rashi's trying to give God a pretense for what God's about to do. How would you translate that? Galui lefanai, 
It's clear to me. Clear to me, right? We have that. Where else do we have the phrase Galui Lefanai or Galui Lefanecha? In the Brachava Shir Yatsar, right? That we say after we uh, uh, use the restroom, we say it as Yadua Vagalui Lefnek Seik Vodecha. That is clear and obvious to your holy throne, which is an interesting pun. Um, <laughs> that if our that that if if things that are supposed to be open are closed and things that are supposed to be closed that are open, we could not possibly stand before you. So Galui Lefanai means it's obvious, right? It's apparent to me that. Interesting choice of Rashi to use the word lev here, didn't have to. What do we think that means? Or Joel, what do you think that means? To give a full heart to return. Right, so okay. put it into an English sentence. What is clear to God that is the second? He's saying that he's not going to repent. So it's not like there's a chance that he would go back on his, his deeds. So I'm just going to. Correct. Maybe right. Harder. So, so let's linger on that because it's it's so we understand it and it's uncomfortable. Since it's obvious to God that non-Jews don't do tshuva, that's what he's saying here, right? So, since he's been a bad guy, and there's no pathway for him to be a good guy because Pharaonic kings don't do tshuva. Now, there's a part of this that is troubling and jingoistic, and and you know, J- Jews have the capability of tshuva, non-Jews don't. Other hand, uh, do you know of ancient you know, um, authoritarian monarchs who did a lot of tshuva for all the evil that they did, right? So, right, what's that? In the, in the Midrash, right? So, we, so there are two steps. Since it's the case that he is, has done things worthy of punishment, and since I, I could use my divine powers to try to get him to do tshuva, make him into a tzaddik, but it's not gonna work anyway, we haven't gotten to therefore yet, but what do we think the therefore is going to be? Therefore what? Given those two setups, what do we think the therefore is? I'm it's going to exert my power against him. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm going to uh, weaponize myself against him with no guilt because he deserves it. And there's no chance that he's going to um, build himself up after it, which makes what Rashi is about to say a little more interesting because he kind of turns, turns you know, 75 degrees. Totally. To, uh, no, to, I, I have to totally uh, some, some versions have totally Okay. So it's, it's, it's good that I can, that I will um, harden his heart. Literally, um, it's a heat pa'el. It's good that his heart will be hardened in a, in a reflexive. Okay. Right? So in the, in Rashi is taking God's agency out of the verb. But I think it means the same thing, right? So it, I, 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 I totally accept that what I'm about to do is going to result in his heart being hardened over and over again. Why? In order that my signs will be multiplied. Okay, so that is fair to the verse, right? They hear beti et ototai vet moftai. So that um, it's good for me if he continues to resist, because that'll give me more of a reason to increase my signs and wonders, and my signs and wonders is so that I'm able to punish him? Not necessarily. You, plural, will recognize my greatness. Okay, so what's the end of this uh, rationalization? What, what, what is the goal of of God's doing all this. The reason why God is permitting God's self to do it is because Pharaoh deserved it, he's not gonna get better. But what's the goal? To impress the Jews, wait, right, Barry? Uh, it, it's God's opportunity to show God's power. 
So, right. Uh, but, uh, Pharaoh is is an opportunity for God to go with God's power. To whom? To the the people, uh, to the world. Right. To, to the Israelites, right? Atem, right? So shetakiru atem, that you, Moshe and Aaron, and the people you represent, that you will know me, right? So it's almost as if Rashi is saying, it's not that God is a violent, sadistic God who is looking for a pretense to continue to punish Pharaoh for no reason. He's looking for a pretense to continue to punish Pharaoh so that, forget Pharaoh, Pharaoh will be in the, in, the, in the past, so that the Israelites who are brought out of Egypt and with whom I want to start a relationship or rekindle a relationship around Sinai, they're going to know that I'm a God of power. And they're going to know that I'm a God who can accomplish all these things. Right? And, so whether or not we think that the first part of the rationalization um, you know, holds, holds water the way we think of um, you know, moral cause and effects now, cause and effect now, Rashi's understanding is that the primary reason for all this spectacle is not to punish Pharaoh for no reason, but to punish Pharaoh so the Israelites will have a better relationship with God. Let's go around, Stevie. Well, it's this is what Rashi's saying, but it's also shot of the psukim. We just haven't read it yet, but the next two verses say that. Yes. Um, do you want to make, make a quick reference to that by, by just, we'll read them slower in a second, but just say that again, or just. Uh, back first. All right. um, I don't, I, I'm, I don't know if that's shot in the verse. No, I, I mean, I'm going to disagree with that. You, shot in the verse is that um, if we read quickly, we'll go, we'll, we'll do it slower in a little bit. He's not going to listen, and I'm going to place my hand on Egypt, and I'm going to take my hosts and my people out with great signs, and the Egyptians will know that I'm God as I place my hand on them. There's nothing in well, the verse. Well, the Jews will know that I'm God when I take the people out from there. So it's when my people come out from someplace, they're going to come out from a place where I'm already known. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know if it's shot in the verse that the rationale for the extension of the plagues that are about to happen is to impress the Israelites. I think it's shot in the verse that we'll get to that I'm going to pound Pharaoh until he, until he submits, until he releases. But we, we could talk about that as we, as we look at the verses more slowly. Um, who it's, else? Norm, did you have your hand up? Alan? Yeah. This seems so contrary and unnecessary given what's gone on on one basis because if the Jews, if it's if all these plagues are to impress the Jews, they've seen. Um, well, this is it hasn't happened yet. Never mind. I just realized this is for what's gone under. They're still not redeemed yet. They have to impress the Jews. It's going to impress the Jews, but it's still not going to make a difference because they're going to build a golden calf afterwards, even after the plagues and after, you know, all those experiences connection with God. They're still going to do it. So, right, it answers the question. Right, this plan, which is being built up in the Midrash, doesn't end up being entirely effective. I mean, it might be effective in, in the early stages of the Exodus, right? It also represents a God, how should we say this, because all, all of this is so anthropomorphic, a, an uneasy God, a God with an inferiority complex, a God who feels like God has to flex God's muscles in front of God's people as if God, as if just getting them out of Egypt would not be sufficient, right? That, that's, that's the unspoken Havamina. If I just got them out easily without pounding Pharaoh, would that not be enough for them to have devotion to me? I've got to, 
thank God, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm saying this in Rashi, you know, language, thank God Goyim don't do tshuva so that I have a better excuse to bring the Israelites out of Egypt, you know, like a weightlifter so that they'll marry me. It's, it's, it's really an interesting line of thinking and an interesting line of thinking to, to um, impute to the God figure. Barry, and I'll go to Mickey. Yeah, along the, the same line, um, uh, uh, up until now, the, the only connection of uh, what God is, is a, a, a concept. A, a God is a concept or a, the historical concept. Uh, the, the, the people have known Pharaoh as a, as a strong force. And, and, uh, and what we're being told now is there's no, no damage going to be done to Pharaoh. Pharaoh is what Pharaoh is. So there's, there's no problem in bringing all this stuff, stuff onto Pharaoh. He's, 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 he's looking to be who he is. So he's, he's a, a ploy, a tool yes. with, with which God then can become God's force, strength, strong force. For, for the people to see, and also for the uh, the Egyptians to see, uh, to, to cause the expulsion. Right, and as Barry's saying, to the Israelites of this generation, if we take the story at face value, God hasn't acted in history in quite a long time. Right? God has been silent for a couple of generations. They, they've suffered, right? This is, they haven't met God the way Avram and Isaac and, and Jacob did. So in order for them to connect the stories they've heard in slavery to the experience they're about to have, according to this commentary, they're going to need to be reintroduced to a God who's more powerful than Pharaoh. Yeah. Mickey. I'm just wondering, is it saying that isn't uh, his heart, his heart, Pharaoh's heart is already hard. He's just making it worse, right? He's just making it more, the Pharaoh more extreme towards his already own goals and motives. It's just extreme. In, in a sense, right? Since Pharaoh is like this anyway, and as harsh and as evil, my perpetuating that evil is not a morally problematic thing because there was no chance he was ever going to repent from that way of being anyway, right? And that, and that listen, um, ty tyrants, and I'm not saying that God is a tyrant, but tyrants are always looking for pretenses and explanations for why they should be able to continue their wanton use of authority and power, right? And there, there are some uneasy and fascinating mirrors going on here between the Lord that the Israelites are leaving and the Lord that the Israelites are marrying and the, the power to whom the Israelites were slaves and the power to whom the Israelites are now going to be Avdeh Hashem, servants, same Hebrew word. And it's impossible to read the story without thinking that one of the things we're supposed to be thinking about the story is the relationship between God and Pharaoh, arch opposites, but we talked about this idea before, arch opposites that if you, if, you, if, you, if you curve around two opposite ends of a line, sometimes they're very, very close to one another, right? And, and how, how easily a, um, an authoritative figure that's supposed to be compassionate and merciful, like a God, our God, can get to being pharaonic, right? Because ultimately, if you have ultimate power, then you have ultimate power, and you can explain any reason why you want to use it. Uh, Norm, and then Alan. The, pl the plan seems to be reasonable, but in fact, as we look at it from a later time, we know that it doesn't seem to have worked on the Israelites. The Israelites spend most of Bamidbar rebelling 
over and over again, at least yeah. some of them. And it, they didn't even wait till that to start. It really starts already in Shmos. Um, and once we get to the land of Israel, you know, even until this day, there are people who feel that the Torah is not much more than a deed and don't recognize that it's on a condition. Right, so to which the, the Rashi might say, and can you imagine how much worse the experience would have been in the desert had it not been for this, right? right? They, they, they were that rebellious, even given this proof of God's dominion, it would have, it would have been so much worse. Alan? Yeah. There seems to be a conflict, and it may just be a conflict of different Midrashim, but if Pharaoh, if God is going to harden Pharaoh's heart from the get-go, and make it e even worse than it is. It, there's a conflict saying, well, the, the first five plagues, it was more passive that, you know, Pharaoh, it, his heart was hardened and God isn't doing the hardening. It's only in the last five plagues that, that the, the Midrash says, God, and, and the text itself says that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. So it, there seems to be a conflict between the notion of the passive for the first five plagues and God's actively hardening in the last five plagues when it says here that God is acting ab initio from the beginning of hardening Pharaoh's heart. Yes and no. The part to, to that to which I would say yes is you're right. Midrash doesn't have to um, explain itself to itself because Midrash represents hundreds or more rabbinic voices over centuries, right? Sometimes it's easy to forget how long the, the rabbinic period is, right? I mean, think of how long ago whatever was being written about the world and ideas in the early nineteen in the, in the early nineteen twenties seems from now. Uh, it just and 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 we know much more about the nineteen twenties than the two twenties knew about the one twenties, right? And the rabbinic period lasts from you know fifty, sixty, seventy CE to four fifty. Uh, from the land of Israel to Babylonia, the idea that, you know, a rabbi writing in the town of Sura in the year 390 um, would have to, would, would have to feel, first of all, would know of and then have to be answerable to anything that a colleague wrote 250 years earlier in the Galilee, right? It shows how many different streams of thought there are, particularly when it comes to um, Midrash Agadah, because all we're doing, all we're doing is adding color to to a text right there's nothing there's nothing there's no law at stake here so i don't have to be i don't have to explain myself to the previous one that's the point to which i would say yes the point that i would say no to is i think rashi is sort of saying a version of that that yeah you see how pharaoh is about to be the one to harden his heart because he's an evil guy and because he's defied me and and you see he's showing that he's not capable of chuba so at some point i'm going to take over right because because he's he has established a pattern of evil that is not going to turn around. All right, so since he's going to be doing this way anyway, why don't I take credit for it? And I'll, and I'll, and I'll be able to squeeze out of this some relational you know, fodder between me and the Israelites. We're still in the middle of the Rashi. Do you want to keep reading the Rashi? I was saying say first, Joel. Okay. So if he's incapable of, of, of um, tshuva, then... It begs the question, why is it even necessary to harden his heart? And I'll answer my own question. I'm guessing Rashi is saying that he may just throw up his hands and concede for the wrong reasons, not because he is seeing the light, but because he's being beaten down. Correct. Correct. That I think that's exactly right. That 
any change of heart that you reader or you motion Aaron, if you want to say it in the story, are about to see is not because he was on the verge of becoming a better man than he was, because, you know, you know, why, why, why do people say what they say when under torture? They want the torture to stop, right? Doesn't mean that they're necessarily having, having a transformal, transformational experience as a human being, right? So I think that's exactly right, right? Pharaoh is going to change his mind, but only to relieve himself from the temporary suffering. In fact, I think Rashi is going to sort of uh, hint at that. Um, okay, so let's um, keep going. So we got to the Chen Midato. Chen Midato Shel HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and that's the, the, um, the essence of HaKadosh mm -hmm. uh, the, the Baruch Hu. Mevi Puranot Al Omot, that brings uh, signs or wonders on... Puranot is like payback. The, um, su suffering, um, you know, uh, tragedies, okay. things like that. Onto the onto the um, nations. Kedei she yishmu she Yisrael v'yirau v'yirau v'yirau, in order that Israel will take heed and will notice, will see, will hear and see. Okay, so uh, just to paraphrase that, God Rashi saying. What God, what I, Rashi, am saying that God is saying in this verse is actually how God operates throughout history, that when you see God punishing the nations, it's not so that the nations will become righteous, necessarily, it's so that it'll have an effect, an impression, make an impression on the Israelites, and then he quotes a verse, which I'll bring up onto the screen, from the rarely quoted book of Tsefania. When's the last time you studied the book of Tsefania? Okay, so Tsefania, one of the Tresar, one of the 12 minor prophets. Uh, we'll just read it inside, because uh, I think this is a direct quote. Yeah. Kichrati goyim. I, um, I destroyed, um, wiped out nations. Nashamu pinotam. All their pina, corners, all their areas have become uh, empty and desolate. Hecharavti chutzotam. I have wiped out their courtyards um, or their their, their travel areas, no one passes by, arehem, their um, cities are emptied out, no one there, no one sitting there. So I, God, have, have wreaked all of this havoc on the nations. Why? According to Tsefania, Amarti, I thought, that it's interesting it's translated here as she because it's second person plural. I thought to myself, maybe you will take notice. Who's the feminine you referred to here? The Israelites, right? Knesset Yisrael, right? That maybe you would see and you would take a lesson. Velo yi karet meona. Kol asher pakati aleha. That you would, you would um, uh, take heed of everything that I have brought upon them. Uh, because they had done um, for all the things they'd done, but instead you actually kept going with all of your bad ways. So in context, the prophet Zephaniah is filtering God's word saying, hey, Israelites, I tried to convince you to mend your ways because you were being um, disloyal, by wreaking havoc on the other nations so that you Israelites, you Jewish people would know that I have that power and then you would come back to me. 
but you kept going anyway. Like it, once again, it didn't have the effect, desired effect. So Rashi is interestingly quoting from a verse in Safania that proves that this method doesn't always work, <laughs> but it's God's method. It's what, what's, what's, what's Einstein's, is Einstein or Edison's definition of insanity, right? To, to try the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. So this is God, this is a somewhat insane God hoping that the next time God schmeiss the nations, the Israelites will actually take heed and do tshuva um, and become better people as a result. So now you could just read it inside. Shinamar hichrati. Where, oh, do you want me to do the whole thing? I guess we just read it, so you could go to the end of it. Even though the first five plagues, um, it does not say that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But instead, the Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Right. So what, what, what is Rashi, what, what's the parenthetical that Rashi's adding at the end? What, what's it doing to the rest of the comment? And despite all of this, as Alan pointed out, the first five is not even God doing it. Barry? It just brings out his own proclivity, uh, Pharaoh's proclivity to be this way. Right. It's almost as if Rashi is softening this a bit saying, and, and I'm not even going to start this right away. I'll, and I'll give him five more chances. And, and you'll see in those five chances, he's not going to change his ways, but it's, it's not even that God is doing it ab initio now, right, Rashi's saying, but eventually God's going to say, this, this is just not getting any better. Is there a David in our class? David entered the waiting room. Kaplan? Okay. <coughs> Let me see who that is. Okay. I assume it's okay. Um, right. So um, now that Rashi has worked hard to say, if you're troubled by what, what, what God's about to do, don't be, because Pharaoh's not capable of tshuva. And don't you want the Israelites to have a positive impression of God on the way out? Even with that, God didn't start right away. God gave Pharaoh five more choices, yeah. uh, chances. Renee. So it seems that it's just like another example of how God is always given chances regardless of what they decide Regardless, I didn't hear that. Regardless, regardless of whether whose side he's on, whether it's the Jewish people or Pharaoh, he's giving us chance to redeem ourselves. And only after he sees that nothing happens does he does he get involved in the punishing side of it. Right. And, and I know exactly what you mean, and, let, and let's be kind of really... It's so hard to know when we talk through these texts, are we describing God or are we describing the tech, what the text says about God or are we describing what Rashi says the text says about God, right? So who, who's the theologian here? Is the God the theologian or is Rashi the theologian, right? So if it's Rashi the theologian, then he's saying, yes, the, that the God around whom I'm organizing my entire life is a God who gives second and third and fourth and fifth chances both to us and to them. And isn't that a great God isn't that a wonderful God to be in relationship with as I'm suffering in the midst of the Crusades in France, right? So, and, and all of that is, is, is swirling around these commentaries at all time. Barry? Uh, we, we don't want to lose sight of what the, the essential story here. Uh, we Israelites have been slaves for so many hundreds of years. Uh, our mentality is, is completely slave-driven with the master on top. God must insert God's self and, and show that there is another force and a reason 
for us Israelites as slaves in our mentality to get up and get out of there. And most of us didn't leave. Most stayed. Yeah. So God, God's got to serve God's self in some way and using Pharaoh as a tool to leverage God's self to get people to get out. Yeah, I think that's a very astute comment because there are, there are many, there are several kind of mass themes in the biblical tradition that show, that can be read through the prism of weaning the people off of what they were used to um, into the only thing they'd be willing to accept next because if, they, if you tried to move them all the way all at once, it wouldn't have worked, right? So Maimonides' understanding of the whole sacrificial system is not that God wanted lambs or bulls to be sacrificed on an altar to appease God, but the only religion that the Israelites knew in Egypt was a sacrificial one. And so it, it's somewhat of a, of, of a convenient approach, right? It's, it's almost as if Rambam is saying that had it not been for the destruction of the second temple, eventually Judaism would have evolved away from temple sacrifice anyway. But Rambam is saying that the Israelites needed a ritual, a transitional ritual object called non-human sacrifice towards sacrifice towards a benevolent God, because had we gone straight to davening, right, in the desert, it, they, they wouldn't have spoken that language. They wouldn't have understood that cultural language. And you're making the point that to have gone from a Pharaoh to a, a totally benevolent, soft-hearted God who expects nothing, they would not have understood what that would even mean, because the only thing they were used to was, was, was a master like Pharaoh. Uh, Mickey, was your hand up before? Okay, uh, good. Let's go to at the end of the comment. Yeah, Leonard. A quick tangent by Leonard. So you ask whoever uh, had studied Zephaniah. Yes. I have not studied Zephaniah, but there's one verse there that I'm familiar with. Chapter 8, verse 3 is the only verse in the Tanakh that has every letter of the alphabet, <laughs> including all the Sophiot and every vowel. Chapter what? Chapter eight, verse three. Well, it has to be chapter three, verse eight. Because there's only three chapters. Maybe it's Zechariah? No, it's, uh, well, maybe it is three, eight. Well, chapter three, verse eight of Zephaniah. What did you say? It has every verse? It has every letter of the Hebrew alphabet, including all the Sophiot, all the final letters, and it has every vowel. Well, there's, a, there's, a final lamb, there's a final nun, there's a final nun, there's a final pay, there's a final sadi, and there's a final cuff. Look at that. I don't know how I've lived my entire life up until now, <laughs> not knowing that. Do you know what that reminds you want to know tangent on the tangent? And the, the, the worst part about the basketball team that used to play in Washington having changed their name about 15, 18 years ago was that there was no longer an answer to the following trivia question, which is what is the sports team, which if you name uh, the four major sports, if you name its place and its team name uses every vowel once and only once, because when it was the Washington Bullets, it used all five vowels once, but then they changed the name to the Wizards, and then there's no answer to that question. And I just think that was terrible. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't, think, about, they didn't think about what they did to sports trivia when they changed that. Okay, so it's a less violent name, but still, there's no answer to that question anymore. Okay. Um, just the bullets. Okay. Uh, nice. 
All right, let's go to verse five. Uh, Carol, you want to read verse five? Can we get Carol on the microphone? Did we do four? We could do verse four. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not opposed to verse four. Let's do verse four. After that, we'll do verse five. Me. <laughs> okay. Velo yishma alechem paro, venatati et yadi, vemitraim, vehotseti et sivotai, et ami vene Israel, me eret mitraim, bishvatim gdolim. Um, and he will not, Pharaoh will not listen to you, and I will. Um, Place my hand on the on Egypt, or is that on the Egyptians? On Egypt. It, it, it the word is Egypt, right? It's not Mitzrim. So the word is the place, but I think the, the what it connotes is the the, the, the people, people living there. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I will bring out the. I don't know how to print, how to do the tzibo tie. Yeah. It's 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 a word we've confronted a few times before there's no single way to translate it a tzva is an army or a host a gathering multitudes uh everett fox translates it as um and i will bring out my forces right so is it a reference to um i don't know a pre-military gathering of israelites or is it just you know kadosh 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 knights for that god has a coterie around god it's hard to know and we can uh, Larry's not here, so we can, we don't have the Arya Kaplan translation. I always remember it being hosts, but I never knew what hosts meant. Either. Yeah, so. like like entourage. Um, the uh, my my uh, people of uh, Israel from the land of Egypt um, with big uh, judgments. Yeah, it's that that shvatim uh, dolim, which we also uh, um, confront in the. Uh, the Haggadah is always an interesting phrase because it's not a reference to a miracle. It's not a reference to a plague. It's a reference to like a a, a judicial pronouncement, right? In fact, if you look at um, Uncle Lisa's translation, there are a couple of interesting things here. Velo yikabel minchun. So he translates the word shomea to listen to to re to receive it from you, right? So it's not a question of like auditory. Not that he's not hearing you, but he's not going to obey or pay attention. I'm going to um, um, place the um, kind of the, 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 the strike of my force on Egypt. I will take out, how does Angolus translate? So he translates as military, right? I will remove my forces, maybe that's why Eric Fox translated that way, Yat Ami, my people, B'nai Israel, Me'arad Mitzrayim, in the land of Egypt, Bedinin Ravravin. Din is, is something that happens in a court, right? So he's really translating directly the word Shvatim here as if what's happening is a, um, a logical result of uh, a, a heavenly court case, right? Um, where where I judged Egypt to be a certain way. It's just an interesting phrase translate translated by Everett Fox as um, I will bring out my forces, my people, the children of Israel from the land of Egypt with great and he puts it in parentheses acts of judgment. Right, so Everett Fox knows this 
that it's weird to say I will bring them out with great judgments. It, it's not the decisions. It's the it's the things that are going to happen as a result of my having judged Egypt as being deserving of all this. Joel. Yes, many. So he's translating it to the, the number as opposed to the size. Oh, you mean many as opposed to much? Yeah. Uh, I think it can mean both. I think just like in like in Hebrew, rav can mean both numerical and size. In Aramaic, rav ravin can also mean that. Yeah. Barbara? The, that last word in Maria is translated as chastisements yeah that's something that you that's something that you see a lot in in older translations of, of the torah uh because i i don't know i don't remember ever confronting the word chastisement in my life i've the verb chastise yes but a chastisement except in translating shvatim dolim as if that english word chastisements represents the you know the reasons why i'm chastising you and my acting out the chastisement yeah I mean, chastisement is like a put down more than good deeds. It seems to me, a chastisement is you, 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 you being you being rebuked deservedly, right? Then the exactly, and then and then not only being rebuked but being punished as a result of that rebuke. Yeah. Or is this way you way the way it reads with the uh, the bishpatim? Gadol, gadolim, you're talking good deeds or good laws rather than chastisements, it well, seems to me. Just large ones, right? Shvatim, some kind of a of a judgment, and gadol means large, but not necessarily large. large. Yeah, like like right. like you know, big big stuff. Barry. So putting a few a few things together, um, later it's it's God's right hand, Elohim, the power uh, coming through uh, Egypt, and that's why we're supposed to be indoors with the with the blood on the doorpost because anyone who's going to be out there is going to it's it, there there there's no no good or bad. It's a pure power coming through, um, and uh, that's what this is going to lead up to. But to lead up to it. God, I'm going to use the word simsum, is God's power is going to withdraw into a, a tight core and getting tighter and tighter. And then when it bursts, there's no control. And, and that's what it's leading up to, bursting with absolutely no control. And the, 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 uh, the Tzvot, they're, it's a, a disorganized, huge bunch of people. It's, it's, it's not organized. It's just a huge bunch of people coming out, bursting, bursting. God's power bursts through, and, 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 and the, the tzvot bursts out. Okay. Uh, anyone else on this verse? Rashi this is the first of four, four, five, four, five, six, seven, eight. Five verses in a row where Rashi is quiet. No, sorry. Rashi has, sorry. It's the next verse, Rashi has, says nothing. My bad. My bad. So, Carol, do you want to read the Rashi at Yadi? No, no. Carol, wait, 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 hold on one second. Carol, Carol was had the. I know this is the Rashi on four. There's also Yadi on five. Uh, Carol, can you bring the microphone closer to you? Oh. Et yadi. I'm sorry, I'm very confused on what we're reading here. 
So the phrase is, paro, Pharaoh's not going to heed. So I'm going to place my hand upon Egypt. Okay, so what does that mean? Yad mamash Okay, so it's a two-word dibur hamadchil et yadi, and all the entire Rashi commentary is four words. What what does he say, and why is he saying it? It's a real hand to to hit them, to strike them. Okay, so this is one of these Rashi commentaries where our first response back to might be, yeah, of course. Like what 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 have you added, Rashi? Right. So the question is always, what question is Rashi answering in the verse? What's Rashi troubled by in the verse? What's he trying to disabuse us of? What is Rashi adding to our knowledge of the verse when he takes the phrase yadi, my hand, and he says, yeah, really, my hand, lahakot behem, to, to, uh, to, to smite them thereby. Can anyone conjure something that Rashi might be adding? Leonard? It's... Uh... I, I don't have an answer to your question, but it's hard to believe that Rashi believe, believes what he says, that it's a literal hand. I don't think uh, Rashi believes in anthropomorphism to that extent. I agree. So then what else could Rashi mean by Adimamash if it doesn't mean a literal hand? So, uh, Norm and then Stevie? Putting his hand on Pharaoh means he's going to smite him as if he were struck down by god's hand okay but but we but that seemed clear in the verse so how what is rashi adding stevie i don't have an answer to that but i will say <laughs> that, that i don't answer that but let me tell you a story no that that that, that there is a serious academic work into the question of whether or not rashi did believe god had a body and the answer seems to be yes uh-huh that you know he's pre-maimonidean and that just was something that lots of Jews believed, and it doesn't come up that often. I'm not sure if this is an example that's pointed to or not, but uh, there's, it's not, it's not out of the question. Mm. Rick, and then I'm gonna, and then I'm gonna show you something that's pulled up on the screen. Go ahead. Um, hi, I was just gonna connect it to Viad next sentence. The yad here and the yad there. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. That they're going to know. <clears throat> they're going to know. Um, it's the same uh, couple letters. That's yeah. all. Yeah, that's a. It's a. It's a neat thing to point out, right? As we as we say all the time, we see these connections between letters, not necessarily between words. It, it either means something or nothing, including paro and ferao, right? It either means something or nothing. The something you and I were emailing about Barry, um, but let me show you this because it might be familiar to you. So uh, during the Magid section of the Haggadah, which by the way, our, our Haggadah slam that we're doing, I forgot what night, maybe the week from Wednesday with uh, B'nai David and some other communities, um, what we're choosing to focus on this year is specifically the Magid section um, and uh, choosing, di <laughs> choosing different- It's not very specific. No. But, uh, <laughs> Which this year we're trying to focus on the Haggadah. Um, uh, and on the notion that the, 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 the core of the Magid section is the linear uh, Midrasha commentary on the bunches of, of words that tell the story of the Israelites of, 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 of Exodus, right? Um, and scholars believe that what we see in this section of the Haggadah is some of the earliest 
uh, Agadic Midrash in our tradition, right? Not large, expansive, connecting commentaries, but just this is what the word says, this is what it means. This is what it says, this is what it means. If you, um, and you all know this material. So on the part of the Magi, we get to God brought us out of Egypt. What does the Haggadah say about that? Why, why is it specifically reinforcing that God brought us out of Egypt? God didn't send a messenger. Not through some kind of a seraphic angel. Not through another word for messenger. Rather, the Holy One, whether anthropomorphically or not, it was God doing it directly. Shinamar, this is not our verse, but it's another verse used to make this point. I passed through the land of Egypt. You, you thought of it as the 10th plague. It was me. It was me, or I will. And I will personally smite all of the firstborn human and animal. And for and against all of the gods of Egypt, I will uh, execute chastisements. I am God. In the Haggadah, that verse is meant to say all the times that you think that God might be acting out by means of some kind of um, uh, intermediary, it's actually God. Right? I believe that's what Rashi is saying here. At Yadi, Yadi Mamash does not mean I, I have a hand. I'm interested in that scholarship, but it's not. Yeah, it's not Nassim Slifkin's done a lot of work on that. I'll, I'll email something. Please do. I think what Rashi is saying here is, yeah, like me, right? M my, my personal Kaddish Baruch Hu presence by means of a, of a description of a hand here, I'm going to be personally the one smiting them, right? Not by means of, of, of intermediaries. A secondhand man. Yes, exactly, <laughs> right? So, and if you read that into the larger verse, right, um, they, um, they, they, will, they will, Pharaoh will not <clears throat> obey you. And my response to Pharaoh not obeying being you is that I personally, as God, am going to be among them executing all of these judgments. I think that's what Rashi is saying. Could be wrong. Rick. Hi. Um, <clears throat> I know the class is almost over, but um, I, I, I wanted to throw in the executing judgments. When Pharaoh, at the end of his life, is being judged, his heart... There's the 42 gods that, that sit there in judgment of Pharaoh. So it's that there's a parallel that way, too. Sorry about the static. We're sorry, because we don't hear it. You're the one suffering now. Oh, okay, good, good. So the... On the table, can you, can you... I know it's frustrating with the static, but can you share more about that? Well, um... The Egyptians believed that at the end of your life, your heart was weighed against the feather of justice. And, and if uh, your heart was light, then you got to go on to the afterlife. And you were judged by uh, um, different gods. And um, I, I think that there's a direct parallel to, um, to the story here, making uh, Pharaoh's heart heavy so it wouldn't survive the scales and uh that kind of thing uh i was not aware of that that's new i I, I just was not aware of that as part of ancient egyptian 
Yeah, I I sent you the I sent you the weighing of the heart. Oh, that was that. That's what that picture was. Yeah, this stuff here. Yeah. So if you could take a look at it again, I know we have lots of time. Sorry about my video, but um, I I think there was a direct play off of the idea that the the heart the hardness of the heart the lightness was a was an important thing to the egyptians all of them not just the pharaoh um so we'll talk about it over the, over the next few months i suppose thanks nick okay um let let's go that's the end of the rashi and it's the last rashi we'll read for a few verses we have a few minutes left so let's start with reading verse five uh Norm, you want to see? Microphone, mic microphone, microphone. Could I ask you a question and go back to, to uh, two? One word. One second, Barbara. Norm. A wonderful aspect of verse four is that God promises to bring us, the children of Israel, um, out of Egypt. And that is a tremendous and great feat. Lots of groups of slaves have been freed over the centuries. Only we were brought out from among our enslavers and that enabled us to develop into a free nation and prosper um, and be free people um, most other times groups that have been freed have been left languishing if not under the officially slave owning um, masters still among them and largely under their control we see hmm. that very clearly in the American South, but other cases throughout history. Hmm. Thank you, Norm. Um, someone else had their hand up. Me, Barbara. Uh, yeah, Barbara, thank you. I, I want to go back to line two in a minute, if you don't mind. And, and I was, at, at the end of last week, I was kind of disturbed at the use of the word shilak, which is a PL verb and usually means set free. Why is it used in our books as depart rather than set free? It's, depart just means to me that, that God let us go, the Pharaoh let us go very easily and, and said, oh, yeah, go, go. But set free from our bondage was a, different, was, was, was a, a stronger wording, I think. Is there, have you had any comment on that? Where do you see the word depart? And again, every translation is going to be subject to. Uh, I think most translations say depart. In, in line two, the definition of the word shilach. Uh huh. Which translation? This is Safaria. Yeah, but which Safaria? I don't. What do you mean, which Safaria? I see it because Safaria has ten translations on it. So um, let me share the screen. Right, so the JPS 2006 translation of verse 2. Uh, yeah. Israel, uh, speak to Pharaoh to let the Israelites depart. Yeah, it's an interesting choice. It's, it's, um, it's a softer, more passive English than I think yeah. it presents. The Hebrew is, and, and he or so that he will send away or, or dispatch. But why JPS? I mean, I, I, I'm sure JPS had a reason because when JPS is, you know, the, you know, filled with some of the, the, the greatest English and Hebrew experts at any given time. So there's a reason why they're saying it that way. 
to me, Vishilach demands a more direct and active verb. And I would agree with you on that. Okay, thank you. I, I just would, thank you. Yeah. Barry? It, this, this, the, the setting three is, there's two sides to this. I've said it already. Uh, Pharaoh had to be hard to, to let this happen. The, 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 the Israelites had to know there is a power for which they're going. Yeah. So it, 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 it's not it, it, it's not just Pharaoh letting them go. The Israelites need needed to be let themselves go. So that brings us to nine thirty. So let's hold it here, and we'll start by reading verse five next week. Oh, verse five. Yeah, verse five next week, um, and then we'll we'll look at some other commentaries until we get to the next Rashi on verse nine. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.